On our most recent episode of Sequel Quest, Jeremy and I teamed up with a hardcore gamer to pitch a new Super Mario Brothers film, which was a show I had been campaigning for since the beginning of the podcast. The live-action 1993 movie was controversial upon its release with both critics and the embarrassed cast members. While most Mario fans tried to forget this unique interpretation of their favorite plumbers, it has gained a cult following over the years. And as it turns out, there is also much more of the story to be told, and those behind-the-scenes details have been faithfully documented by our special guests for this bonus episode. Uh, two men that decided to trust the fungus and fly in the face of popular opinion. So tonight, we are very happy to welcome, from smbmovie.com, the Mario and Luigi of Super Mario Brothers the Movie fandom, it's Ryan and Steven. Hey guys! Yo! Hey! So, obviously this has been a big year for Mario fans, or, you know, film nuts who just love to take a second look at movies that were maybe maligned in their initial run. One of the ways you guys celebrated this occasion was with a special 25th anniversary screening. What can you tell us about that event and what all you had planned for the attendees? Well, I, Stephen, actually hosted screenings down in Los Angeles, and Ryan had worked out one in Wilmington, North Carolina, where they had shot film for the Modesto screening. We really wanted it to be something that adults could bring their own children to. So with that in mind, we had a lot of prizes and photography, and we even brought in models and performers to play as the different characters and creatures in the film, such as Mario, Luigi, Princess Daisy, and even uh, President Koopa. So it was very much a great success. We had a great time putting it on, and we're hoping that it, it's the foundation of future events that we can continue throughout the rest of this year and leading into other anniversaries for the film. Well, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your previous screenings? What made them special? Well, the first big one that me and Stephen both did, it ended up being for the 19th anniversary at the New Art and they were really down with being able to secure the film and things like that. And it had been the first kind of big push from us on the website to make something like this that people could go to. And that always remained one of the most special things that we got to do on the site because you know, me and Steven got to meet each other in person for the first time. We had props and puppets and costumes from the movie on display and we had a lot of people from the cast and crew that, that got to attend that screening, like David L. Snyder, the production designer, and Parker Bennett, the writer, and uh, Danny Kaminsky, you know, who played Daniela, were there. Uh, Brian Jennings, you know, who unfortunately is no longer with us, he, he worked on uh, visual effects, and he flew all the way from, where was it, Stephen? India? <laughs> yeah. Wow. J yeah, and he just stood in line. Got, like He paid for his ticket and, and just waited in line, you know, and I just... <laughs> We stood there for the longest time just talking to him, waiting for people to come in. And, and that really, I think, blew me and Stephen away is that at that screening, the whole theater was packed. The line was going down the street like crazy. People were just so excited to be there. And then me and Stephen got to see the movie in the theater on film for the first time because we didn't get to see it as kids during its original theatrical run. So that so there was all kinds of like major firsts <laughs> for us wrapped up into that screening. So that was a great time. And another screening I did that Stephen mentioned was I got to do a 20th anniversary screening at the Thalian Hall in Wilmington. 
And that was really fun because that's where the movie was shot. And a lot of local people that worked on the movie that still live there got to attend. We had a little Q&A session beforehand. And the community really just seemed to really embrace the fact that the movie had been shot there. And a lot of people were glad that that event was being held. And it was another really fun opportunity to watch the film with a big audience. Fantastic events. Obviously, takes a lot of, of work to put that together but when it's a passion project yeah. i'm sure it comes together seemingly much easier so this is a question i have you mentioned you know that you guys did not see this in its theatrical run you know original run in theaters did you always find yourselves to be fans of the film upon your initial watching or was it more a fascination with failure you know like what is it about the movie that has warranted this much of your time and energy to be spent <laughs> on it for me I, I was intrigued with the film from the moment I knew what the film was, and, and that was me just catching it on TV before I went to a friend's house to stay the night as a kid. And it wasn't even in, in the Dino Hatton sequence. It was, it, was, it was just early on when Mario and Luigi are fixing the radiator in the Mario Brothers van. It was because I asked my dad, what is this? And he said, oh, it's the Mario Brothers movie. And I knew what the games were at that point, but I didn't really connect that was the movie, and I was just... A little confused, but just intrigued is a better word. And then from there, I just delved into it and just loved the movie <laughs> from the start. And that kind of just grew into my passion of watching the film, liking the film. But then just it had this whole other dimension to it where you kind of view it as an adaptation and, and figure out the the why of why it happened, how it happened, why they made the changes they made. And it's just a, basically the, the, the Mario Brothers movie is just a giant rabbit hole if you let yourself fall down into it. And I'm glad that I did. <laughs> hey, now, how about for you, Steve? Where did you come into learning to love this film? Well, I am just a few years younger than Ryan, but I was becoming a very big fan of the Super Mario games. I played Super Mario Brothers World and Super Mario Brothers 2 the most. So those are generally considered the changing from the Brothers series into the World series. And then after that, you had Super Mario 64. So it was this huge transition period for the, the Mario franchise. And I was really getting into that malleable character and what he represented in this fantastical world. So I didn't even realize that there was a film until my mother recorded it off the, the television because at this time they were airing it all the time on like the Disney Channel and a few other channels. So she recorded it off the TV with commercials and everything. And unfortunately, what she recorded, uh, it only went up to when Mario and Luigi escape the Dino Hatton police station, and then they barrel out of that incomplete construction tunnel, and the fungus captures the, the vehicle, and then they end up wandering into the desert. And from that point on, you know, it just stopped recording, so I never really knew what happened next. <laughs> and it just held a lot of promise for me, not really knowing where the story was going. You always want what you can't have, right? Yeah, it's like... yeah, yeah. You know, I had to revisit it as a, a teenager to really put together what it was that I was remembering as a child because it was just vague memories. See, that's fascinating to me because, you know, a little bit older than you guys, I was there in theaters opening weekend, got to see this film, so excited, you know, there was all the buzz about it, and I've owned the DVD for years, but there was always this tinge of anger 
at the filmmakers for my own personal experience and expectations for twisting the Mario universe into this off-kilter version presented in the film. Yet, with the help of your website, I have come around (laughs) to see how much work was actually put into incorporating Mario iconography, the lore, just all all these pieces that every... part of the production from the script to the set design you know even the performances and the situations they're put in i mean it was pretty impressive all these years having had so much you know (laughs) bitterness towards it so when did archiving the history of the film become such a passion for you i'm glad to hear that the site changed your mind a little bit because that's that's the main reason why it's there to kind of inform people and get the most information out there because there's nothing worse uh, for a fanboy argument than uh <laughs> than than not having all the right information and that was kind of the reason why i started the website in the first place because my my go-to for a lot of my uh inspiration is or is comic books and batman in particular and and i think one reason why i latched onto the movie as as hard as i did is because even as a kid really early i i liked batman but i had so many different interpretations of Batman that were vying for my attention. I had the 60s TV show with Adam West, and I had Batman the Animated Series, and I had the comic books. And so that was the kind of first, although I didn't really understand it yet, that was the first example to me as a kid of about how, you know, like Stephen was saying, how characters can be malleable. And, and if they're done right, uh, if they're the right kind of character, they, they can work in different situations as long as they have the right kind of intentions behind it. And I think because a video game had never really been turned into a movie before, Super Mario Brothers is always an interesting look in the art of, of adaptation anyway. And so it's just a, kind of this perfect storm of, of analysis just waiting to be looked at. So you take that and then you compare it with kind of where the Internet was at then. You know, you had Mario fan sites and game fan sites, um, but there wasn't really anything for the movie uh, other than uh, a little section about, of the movie that would be on a, a, some of these um, you know, Mario fan sites. And then you would have YouTube going on. People would just have videos about how the, the movie's not good or – you would just hear like on message boards that the movie is one of the worst movies ever. And then internet movie database, it was on the, their bottom hundred movies list and everything. And I felt like the movie was misunderstood to a great degree. And there had to be other people like me that saw more in it that weren't as dismissive of it. So for me, you know, a little bit before that I had just been so intrigued by the movie that I, I had just collected as much uh, memorabilia as possible from the film, posters, toys, soundtracks, just anything that popped up on eBay, I would grab. And eventually I came to the point where through a auction, I got a, a big set of production materials and photos and storyboards from David L. Snyder, the production designer. And that really was like the spark that ignited my vision of there's a, there's more to this than the film itself. There. There's a there's a story here. This this movie is important for all these reasons. And the funny thing is, is that the more we delve into it, the more things we find to to bolster how important the film actually really is. So I had all this merchandise, and then you combine that with the way the internet was at the, the time, and and just my feeling that the movie needed a little bit more exposure, and it needed a place. I felt like it needed a place on the internet to for me to catalog this stuff, and for people to kind of fans can talk about it or hate on it or just learn more about it. So you take that perfect storm of everything, and I just decided I'm I'm going to make a website about the Super Mario Brothers movie, throw all this stuff on here, and 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 just kind of see what happens. And it just started out with me just throwing all my stuff on there, having a forum where people could talk, and then it it, it kind of just exploded into this 
this thing that has its own you know life like the fungus you see in the movie like the tendrils mm-hmm. of the film just keep stretching out and we keep finding new things because the first interview we had on the website was was mark mccoy who worked on the fungus and then steven joined the website and he he secured our first interview with an actor on the film uh, bojo nixon who played toad and from from there on it was just me and steven just turning the website into something just crazy <laughs> and uh as far down the rabbit hole as you can get and i don't think we've ever really looked back and we keep asking ourselves like what more can we want or ask for from this and for some reason we prayers keep getting answered consistently <laughs> the universe is responding so steven did you you started just by reading the site then and just like commenting on the forums or how did you find yourself taking it to the next level you know i had just gotten out of high school and i was remembering the film from my childhood so i was trying to investigate it to see what information was out there and that's when i ended up coming across ryan haas's website and i joined the message boards and i ended up becoming a part of the community and over time i uh you know as ryan said i helped him with uh coordinating interviews with the cast and crew but at that time uh i was much more of a purist i absolutely adored the games and there was a lot about the film that i did not like or i just didn't understand or appreciate so it's taken a lot of you know what we've done in researching the film and interviewing the people who worked on it for me to actually come to appreciate it as much as i do now and i think a big part of that is the stigma that's attached to the film it prevents people from investigating it a little deeper than they otherwise might have because when you look at the quotes given by roland joffe the producer or rocky morton and annabelle jane kell the co-directors or even parker bennett the screenwriter a lot of what they were attempting to do with the material and adapting what few video games there were to a cinematic narrative a lot of what they were attempting to do are is exactly the kind of things that i like about the video game series it's just that they had a completely different approach in executing it so it's easy for a lot of people to not realize where they're coming from yeah as we were talking on our, our podcast and, and leading into our own ideas for a sequel to the super mario brothers universe one of the things we discussed was it just seemed like there were so many elements there but they covered him in grime and goo, and we couldn't see the bright, cheery Mario universe we were expecting, and therefore it just clouded our vision entirely as kids. Those of us who, you know, or anybody who goes and sees it for the first time, you have one thought of what Mario is, and it's bright reds and blues and, you know, all these you know greens for luigi of course so we're to leave luigi out um you know and then all of a sudden you get here and it's all it's just dark you know it's so dark but let me ask this for for both of you what is your favorite nod to the game as presented in the movie maybe a little easter egg or maybe something that's a little bit more overt what's that oh man this is actually a tough question but i think for me, it was the realization, and this is something that Steven and I figured out, you know, when we were getting knee-deep into comparing the things in the games to the things in the movie. If you go in the original Super Mario Brothers instruction manual for the NES, the original game, and you look at the story and you break it down, like, sentence by sentence, that's the movie. You know, you could take that and just take the words and not look at the manual art and just kind of break it down, and you can fit those sentences onto the plot of the movie and the way that it gets interpreted. And I, and I don't think that was 
not intentional on the filmmaker's part. So that that's kind of, that always really impressed me. Steven? You know, taking that a little bit further, I've always been fascinated with the fungus and, mm. and just the way it's this physical slash narrative slash thematic metaphor for so much going on with the video games. And yet it, it just adapts so well to the particular story they're telling. And it even goes back to Super Mario Brothers 3, where prior to Princess Peach getting abducted by Bowser, the goal of the game is to rescue a different king from each land who has been transformed into a different Mario enemy by the Koopalings. So in that sense, the king being transformed or de-evolved into some more monstrous form is very much in line with what they had been doing in the actual video games. Again, the immediate response was always, oh, they just didn't get it. Did they even play the game? And it's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they went deep. And it was so deep. It was almost beyond most of our own knowledge and playing. So, uh, you know, I know for me, like as a kid, it was just seeing the ba-bomb. And I was like, there's a ba-bomb. It's so clear that, yes, okay, I get this. But as I've, uh, again, gone through your site, the one thing that stuck out to me, it's because a lot of the stuff passes so quickly, you don't get to appreciate it. But the, Mm -hmm. the fact that there are shy guys in this movie i'm like ah you know there's like there's guys in masks or uh who are the other guys the ones that shoot the uh the balls out of their mouth sniffets yeah the sniffets there's those guys they're like i was like oh i never even would have made that connection in the brief moment they're like spraying mario and luigi down right <laughs> at some point so there, there's a lot of stuff like that that's pretty exciting to uncover but also as you said you've had a chance to get deep inside the world of the production itself with people who were there as it was being made. Is there a particular story that sticks out for either one of you that was just like a shocking revelation to hear firsthand? I think the most interesting thing to come out of it is the Goombas being distracted by Mario and Luigi in the elevators by a dancing Mm -hmm. was improvised on the spot by the, the directors who had at that point had been bottled in by the scripts they were doing constant script rewrites and they were essentially just trying to get from point a to point b they didn't really care how it was done disregarding story but the directors realized that they this was the perfect opportunity to inject some things that could add levity and maybe a little creative death to the film so they called a break everyone did a break for about an hour and the director sat down rocky and annabelle and just talked to each other until finally they came up with that concept of luigi essentially snake charming goombas and it's gone on to become one of the most popular elements in the film both for you know fans like us and for the critics who you know reviewed the film back in 93 you go back and you look at those reviews and it's like every single one of them like, oh, I didn't like the movie. I didn't care for this or that. But those Goombas and that elevator scene, classic. Yeah. So there's a lot of really fun stories that we, we've gotten from the people we talked to that have worked on the film. But one of the my favorite behind the scenes anecdotes is one of the best interviews we ever had was when we talked to Parker Bennett, you know, one of the screenwriters. He and his partner, Terry Runte, had, had worked on the film early on. They were the first pair of screenwriters on Rocky and Annabelle's version of the film. And then a whole bunch of writers came after them. But then they had come back to the set to help on a whim, actually. And then they roped them in for the rewrites that would happen for the whole entire rest of the production. So they were kind of the scapegoat on set of like, oh, these are the guys that are 
rewriting the script and making our lives difficult, you know, in terms of the actors. And Parker told us this really funny story about how one of Dennis Hopper's famous tirades on set and how he refused to <laughs> to say one of the monologues that had been written for him on the spot that day. And he was chucking the script at Parker and he made him go look up the word act in the dictionary <laughs> so he could like read it line for line, explain to him like oh, <laughs> why this was so difficult. And to hear Parker tell it when we met him in person at one of the screenings and he just has this, this giant grin on his face when he's telling us the story. I think he knows that he was in a very interesting time in his career and, and, and his life. And the, the movie is just this kind of really crazy spot to be in just hearing him tell us that story was just, I'll never forget that. Yeah. And I know you guys also talked to Richard Edson, which was very exciting to get a, a cast member there. And I thought one of the stories that was quite fascinating was his description of knowing Fisher Stevens, knowing how they would have to work together, that Fisher Stevens would not want to be upstaged in any way. So they had to equally share the number of lines and the fact right. that they almost, they weren't a very big part of the script after a certain point. So then they just started pitching each day, like, Hey, what if we did this what if we said this so they were actually writing their own parts in the movie which is pretty fascinating yeah so i i'm also curious to know because as you mentioned there were so many rewrites and so many versions of the script and if you go on the website you'll be able to see just all these different concepts from ghostbusters to you know whatever they were trying to work into it is there a particular deleted scene from any stage of production that was either written or shot and just omitted that you either wish was still in there or you just wish you could have seen? I mean, the big one is where the green slime on the floor, the origin of that whole thing. If there's one scene I wish we could have, it's that one just because the film as it stands, it visually looks like something is missing from it. And I don't know if we ever have gotten confirmation on this, but it was either the effects couldn't get done just quite right or it was too gruesome for kids in early screenings and they decided to cut it out, but they couldn't go back and reshoot or digitally remove the goo off the floor. So it just kind of stayed there. So that's kind of one thing that I wish was rectified. It's just a little extra scene of, of Koopa devolving somebody all the way into slime, which, you know, as we see, kind of would have been a nice callback for what happens later in the film. But there's also an entire separate subplot that got cut between uh, that gives mario and luigi like an emotional backbone in the story like they have a whole family pride arc um and there's little bitty snippets of scenes that just kind of would have contributed to that that got cut and i really would kind of wish that that stuff was still in the film too steven is there any hole in your heart in the super mario brothers the movie universe that you're saying oh if only from like the novel or the scripts or Anything that you heard about that you wish you could have seen? The, the Spike and Iggy rap or something like that? You know, for the longest time, that probably would have been my second choice is the Iggy and Spike rap. <laughs> Only because, you know, you see the way the Vanilla Ice rap has aged for the <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, yes. And it's, <laughs> it's added something to that particular... Things that were cheesy in the first 10, 15 years, once you get on to 25 years, you start appreciating it. And, you know, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fans, it's like, hey, you remember the rap? Like, yeah, I remember the rap. It was awesome. And I think it might have added to the exposure of Super Mario Brothers. But at the same time, I think it would have undermined, you know, everything else that was going on. And it certainly wouldn't have helped yeah. the pacing 
because at that point in the film, the pacing, it just starts to really drag. And you already have three songs in that bar scene. So why add a fourth? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You telling me walk that dinosaur is not as uh, epic as the, the Ninja Turtles rap by Vanilla Ice. I, I think it's right up there. George Clinton deserves our respect. You go, P-Funk. <laughs> if I were to want something added, though, it, it I think it still would be Iggy and Spike related. They had attempted to do multiple special effects scenes in the, the early Brooklyn moments of the film. So when Iggy and Spike are still pursuing Daisy prior to abducting her, you see all these little hints that they have reptilian or they're not exactly human. And they can never quite figure out which one they wanted to do. There was one where when Mario sees Daniela off to her apartment, she actually would have had uh, iron wrought bars, like an exterior security door. And then Spike would have come up to the bars and literally squeezed himself through them like an X-Men. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Okay. Ultimately, they decided that wasn't going to work very well. So then they thought, okay, let's try to have Iggy drop upside down from the phone booth that Daisy is speaking from. So Mario and Luigi are speaking, are talking about how, oh, look at this pretty girl. You should go talk to her. And then all of a sudden you hear a scream and you, like, you know, Mario and Luigi turn back and it's, it's Iggy like hanging upside down from the phone booth. And then they're like, okay, well, this isn't working either. So the third thing they attempted was just having Iggy and Spike in the car as they do in the film. They're sitting in the film several times. So this would have worked out the easiest, wherein they're just sitting in there talking, and then a fly lands on the interior of the windshield, and Spike, like, flicks out a Yoshi-like tongue and eats the fly. And then Iggy says, oh, don't do that. We can't do that. We can't get caught over. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm hungry. I got it. Man's got to eat. A dinosaur's got to eat. And that one got as far as actually building the tongue for Spike, but they didn't complete the effects for it. Uh... I think that would have added the most of those three to those early Brooklyn scenes, especially since it would have been a great nod to what Yoshi does later on with Lee. Exactly. Like you say, yeah, there is a lot of like that kind of that whole callback thing that the pieces that were omitted or even some stuff that stayed in, you can still keep an eye out for. But I feel like one of the small ones, it's kind of odd. You tell me if I'm off base here, but you know, there's the scene where, you know, Spike and Iggy have their, they're getting hot dogs and they're having the conversation about the hot dogs. But then, when Mario and Luigi get to Dino Hatton, then there's those guys selling the lizard hot dogs, basically, right? Mm-hmm. What, what are those called? I'm trying to remember. Fried tweeters. Right yeah. <laughs> Did you guys offer those at your screenings? No. No fried tweeters available? <laughs> we actually offered Python pizza, extra spicy, hold the mammal, Koopa and special. Pop Toast. Yeah, Koopa <laughs> Special. Uh, and pop toast. That is great. I uh, love it. Okay, so now, obviously, uh, you mentioned, Ryan, as you were gearing up in your fandom, one of the things you were going after was the merchandise, and you were just amassing as much oh, as yeah. you could. So there was a fair amount of merchandise and tie-in, you know, promotional items released in conjunction with the film hitting theaters. So do you have a favorite tie-in item, or is there a holy grail you're still searching for? I have most of all the Holy Grails by now. One of the, the, the more interesting pieces is, is, a, is a promotional plunger 
that they sent out to um you know the video stores to kind of promote <laughs> the film. It's like a little miniature like a uh, eight inch little plunger, and on the on the handle it's got like a you know Super Mario Brothers on it on video cassette. That's kind of fun, and you know people really like the the Ertle toy line because it's it's really well done. The likenesses are fun, and they're like sturdy, durable figures, and and, and they did a really good job with the line. Unfortunately, the, the line didn't have a Yoshi or a or a Lena, or a Daisy, or any, you know, or a Bertha. No, no female characters. That toy line is still really good, and uh, the two Holy Grail pieces of that be the um, the Evolution Chamber playset, and even higher than that is the uh, Crash Action Police Car. Those things are just absolutely excellent. They're so well thought out, and the perfect kind of like, like in your head. If those didn't exist, and in your head you thought, man, if they made toys for that movie. They could have made this thing that does this cool thing and that cool cool thing, and that's exactly what these are. You know, the the Devo Chamber, you can just put a figure in, and they can de-evolve into a Goomba, which has an exclusive Goomba that that comes just with that playset. And then there's like fungus that drops down and bullet bills that shoot out of the pipes. And the police car is even better because um, they have it set up to where you know in the film. The two things the cars in the film do, and this police car in, in particular, is the cars just crash into each other all the time. And of course, there's the iconic scene where the fungus saves them as as the police car jumps out of the of the tunnel, and the toy does both. It, it's set up to where it's got these dummy triggers, and if you crash the car into into something hard enough, it breaks apart. The doors fly off, the wheels like come off or whatever, and the and the car breaks in half, which is just awesome. And it also has this um, fungus like uh, suction cup thing that like you can hang the car from, so you can like wow. reenact the. You can reenact the scene from the film, and, the, and it's just the coolest little toy. And uh, and it, one of the reasons why it, it's the Holy Grail is, it, you know, of course, is because it's one of the bigger playsets, but it's also very, very scarce. It's really hard to come across. So yeah, toy line. Yeah, that's that's really fun. And Stephen, for you, has that have, has your fandom extended into owning particular pieces of the film that are precious to you? You know, I I like the the expanded or alternative media things. You know, like the trading card and the coloring book, and they had a <laughs> a novelization done. So all of those are, you know, they, they kind of follow the same general plot of the film. Well, obviously the trading cards are visualized scene by scene, that kind of thing. But then you also either deleted scenes or alternate scenes depicted in some of the trading cards, or they're depicted far more strangely in the coloring book. Um, and then, like, the, the novelization itself has a few things, like, expanded on as well. Because for the longest time, the merchandise was the only places we had to get an idea of what could have been shot or what they were attempting right. to do. Yeah, no, I, I definitely know what you're talking about there. I remember, you know, collecting the trading cards for the Batman 89 movie and seeing some scene yeah. where Batman meets a kid, like, in an alleyway. And, yeah, and, I'm like, and she asks him if it's Halloween, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, wow, I never knew, you know. Or get it, you know, you get the, the graphic novel adaptation and it has a whole alternate ending where Batman fakes everybody out, puts Knox in his you know, costume and all this right. stuff. You know, so it's like, it's always so exciting to see the stuff they were prepping, you know, and getting ready so far ahead of time before the, the final cut of the film. Yeah, and that's one reason why I got so invested in getting the merchandise because cause of that same deal. Like, because I was, I'm such a big Batman fan, I knew that, like, ooh, the trading cards and the novels, like, they, they sometimes have information in them from scenes or things that got changed or got cut so that's why i was so invested in getting you know as much merchandise hoping that I, we any kind of hints would be in there and true sure enough yeah the the novel has some th- scenes and the trading cards have 
entire like characters that that were cut from the film so um yeah that was our first my first big inclination of like yeah there's a lot more here than was released yeah now obviously we are a sequel based podcast that's what we live for uh what could you tell us were there ever any rumors of plans for a sequel to this movie was there a scripted development or was it just a fiasco by the very end and they said let's not touch this again well we've actually been fortunate enough to interview parker bennett who was part of that original screenwriting team that came back to set to do the the final rewrites and interviewing him we, we asked him about the sequel hook and according to him it, it was more of an homage to back to the future in the sense that they wanted to a reunite luigi and daisy because they had shot that separation scene which was very important for daisy's arc they didn't want to just bring daisy back to brooklyn as luigi's prize so to speak so it was very important for her arc to keep her behind in Dino Hatton. Well, what ended up in the movie is like the best resolution out of like any of the scripts to that point. There were some really wacky things that they had that um, they just kind of thankfully threw out. So you're saying that what, what we saw as that stinger was essentially what they were presenting us as saying, yes, like this is where the sequel would take off from here. Yeah, they just wanted to convey that the adventures that the Mario Brothers would have now that they're termed super. They've been called Super by the Miraculous World hosts, and <laughs> everyone knows them by that now. So they, they've taken on that superheroic mantle. So their adventures are finally going to begin and continue, and you can imagine them however you want. Well, speaking of which, what would you both personally like to see in a Super Mario Brothers sequel? Uh, we actually co-wrote a sequel comic with Parker Bennett. I don't know if we should just discuss what we did there or just... Yeah, that's 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 obviously, I think both of our answers is like, we, we willed our own sequel into existence <laughs> by, by doing the sequel. Yeah. Can people find that on the website? Did I just miss that? Yeah, it, it's got its own website. It's uh, smbthecomic.com. Uh, we got through about, what, what four, four chapters, yeah, Stephen? Four chapters. Yeah, we got through four chapters. But yeah, we... we we talked to Parker Bennett, part of our interview, and then we, we had these uh, follow-up conversations with him afterwards and kind of figured out where a sequel could have gone, some good rough ideas. And so we combined that with what we wanted to see in a, in a, in a sequel. And, and and we also threw in all of our you know rabbit hole, extensive, like deep dive into world building and what was in the previous scripts and what this means and what that means. And we took all that information and we, and we made the sequel that everybody – you know, wanted to see and, and for, you know, better or for worse, I think we're probably some of the most qualified people to, to make whatever sequel would have actually or not, maybe not what, what would have happened, but but the most true to story that could or should happen for for the film. And we, and we did develop that into a four chapter series that people are still wanting us to finish, but we, we've had to put it aside for a while. But we picked it right back up from where the film uh, stopped and we introduced a new threat that is both makes sense to the, the, the way the film universe is and, and, and where the games would have gone at the time. We treated it like if a, if a real sequel happened, we didn't want to use any game influences after a certain year because we wanted it to remain authentic. And so we just threw everything in there. You know, we reunite Daisy with the King. We give the King a name. We give Daisy's mother a name. And, and there's all kinds of just really ridiculous world building that we came up with that, um, fed into where we're taking the story. 
Yeah, no, that's very exciting. I want to issue you your official Sequel Quest decoder rings because, yeah, it sounds <laughs> like <laughs> you went the extra mile. Your fandom took you there. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, the one thing we do know about that we've heard about recently is the animated feature film coming from Illumination Entertainment, you know, the studio that brought us Despicable Me. And So for you guys, is that exciting? Does it feel like a threat to what you're holding on to so dearly? What What is your opinion of this new animated iteration of Super Mario Brothers on the way? I think it's going to be a great chance to bring new exposure to the original film, especially with new parents, you know, introducing their children to this Illumination film. It might help them remember, hey, wasn't there one from my childhood? And they'll look into it and then they'll produce it to their own children. And hopefully it will expand their appreciation of what can be done with that property and storytelling. Yeah, I'm on the same page with Steve. And I, it, it can only be a good thing for the Mario brand to to expand to different forms of media. You know, they tried it once with the film and they had the cartoons in the 90s. And um, it'll just be another pillar. It's another entry for that world and something else for you know, us to analyze and something, and it'll be another gateway for, for, you know, new fans and old fans to, to view a new movie. But then I think that'll just, it'll only bring attention (laughs) back to the original. Now, you know, here we are, the film is 25 years old. Like you said, you've been at this for a while. You've had some amazing experiences along the way. So does the journey continue? Does the site simply remain as a historical document online? What is your next goal for the smbmovie.com universe. Well, we successfully brought the film to Blu-ray in 2014 for Region B. So our current goal is to bring it to Blu-ray for Region A here in the U.S. And we'd like it to be a full 4K restoration, which we've already done for two of the film's trailers. And it's gotten incredible results so we're hoping that if we were to apply the same treatment to the entire film it would really bring a new experience for fans old and new we're also currently um developing a stage musical adaptation (laughs) whoa that is fantastic yeah, like Steve, Steven comes up with these ideas and, and, and he continually impresses the hell out of me because he's able to execute things and make things happen. And even when I'm like, man, this is a weird idea, he gets me invested like really quickly because he's so passionate about it and he, and he knows I'm so passionate about it. So he's able to kind of like, he'll just like text me and he'll be like, what about this? Or I got this idea and I'll, and I'll get sucked into it and I'll be like, okay, yeah, let's... <laughs> Here's here's some feedback or here's here's something to make this better. And it's great because we have basically made our own. The the website has always been like this, like it's supposed to be this portal of like Super Mario Brothers movie fandom. And I think that we're we're making that fandom. We are cultivating it and growing it like a fungus. And everything we do online just kind of feeds back into that. And through the website and the interviews and the the comic and the the 4K stuff and and what Stevens what we're doing with this stage adaptation, it's all really great to see because people seem to really enjoy it. And the fandom we have, you know, that you'll see on like Facebook and Twitter is just, you know, there's a lot of toxic fandom stuff going on right now and some other fandoms. <laughs> and I just am continually impressed by is, is just how grateful and, and, and curious and, and excited that a lot of people are about the Mario movie stuff. It only gets better. 
Um, and it only gets more fun, you know, since this year was the 25th anniversary, things like the, the movie jumped up on the IMD. You know, I had started talking about like how the movie was in the IMDb bottom hundred rated list and stuff. But after the 25th anniversary, it jumped up to the 20th most popular movie, like on the website or whatever. And that's just ridiculous. You know, it's just crazy to see that it is a cult film now and it's got its own little place in history. And, and I'm so glad that the website and, and what we're doing is is able to give people that place to kind of celebrate it or just find out more about it. I would just add that a lot of what we're doing is to give back to that community and have something there for them to experience for years to come. Because you look at Ghostbusters and it's such a visually rich franchise and it likewise has a great fan community of cosplay and fan films and everything like that. And it had to start somewhere. So I don't mind if people don't say, oh, yeah, Stephen Applebaum and Ryan Haas, they're more important than the film itself. No, that's not what we're trying to do. We, we just want to have something there for people to enjoy for years to come. And I think in the decades beyond, people are going to be able to look at the film and they're really going to appreciate having you know, the stage musical and the 4K restoration and everything else. You hear that, folks? So much to look forward to. That all exciting news on the horizon. Super Mario Brothers, the movie, not going anywhere. You have more to look forward to. But let me ask this as we close here. You know, just to establish your fandom for Mario in general, as we go out, as the years have gone on, we know that Mario is the most recognizable face in video games. For each of you, what is your favorite game in the Super Mario Brothers franchise? Oh, man. This is so tough. I, I love a lot of the games. Super Mario Odyssey that just came out is just really, really good. But uh, it's a little too early to kind of put it on a big pedestal. But for me, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit and say to, do to, a 2D game and a 3D game. If I picked a 2D game, it would be Super Mario World. And if I was going to pick a 3D game, it would be Super Mario Galaxy 2. Because I think that it was so rich and they learned so much from the first Super Mario Galaxy and it just has that sense of like fun and wonder and adventure and and just the tight gameplay and controls and they threw Yoshi in and made it work and it, and it was fantastic in 3D. So uh yeah, Super Mario World and Super Mario Galaxy 2. Steven, I grew up with Super Mario World. Absolutely loved Yoshi, but I think as far as the 2D games in the series, my favorite Mario title would probably actually be Yoshi's Island, primarily because of Yoshi, but also because of the art direction, I love the way the game looks. I love the music. It has a lot of variety yeah. and it matches the mood it's of goofy. the game. It's so good. And then overall, the difficulty, it's it's there. Uh, the difficulty is at the right point for you to be able to feel like you're challenging yourself when you're pushing forward. And in terms of the 3D games in the Mario series, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I absolutely love Super Mario Sunshine. Oh, well, see, no, that that's a perfect example, because that is like the the redheaded stepchild of the mainline Mario <laughs> games. And for good reason. But that is one of those like I played it when it first came out and I was like, mm, OK, but then the more I think about it, the more interesting it becomes and the more intriguing it becomes, you know, the more just a lot like the movie, like you kind of wonder like, oh, OK, it's, it's, it's actually fun to go back to that game and kind of explore it some more because it is so kind of out there in what they try to do. Yeah, it's that's a good pick. Weird, it's a weird mix of them playing it safe and, and taking a lot of risks. <laughs> exactly. Just like this movie, took some risks, maybe didn't play it too safe, and hey, now it's paying off all these years later. So 
again, Stephen, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming on here and sharing a little bit of your story. Very exciting. I'm sure fans of the website will look forward to hearing it, as will our listeners get a little more insight into the world of this fandom. So, again, thank you so much for being here, and all the best with the musical. Hope the comic gets finished someday, and let's keep an eye out for that Blu-ray. We can do it. Reach for that star, right? Yeah. Well, there you have it. We want to thank Ryan and Steven for their time, shared some great stories, and be sure to go over to smbmovie.com, get even more detail on the production, pre-production, post-production, fandom, merchandise, everything to do with Super Mario Brothers the movie from 1993. And if this is your first exposure to Sequel Quest, we are a podcast that loves to imagine stories prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movies, so why don't you go out over to the archives at sequelquestpod.com or check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, wherever it is that you find podcasts, you will find our show, and we've been doing this for years. We love it. It's so much fun, and we hope to have you along for the ride. So until next time, keep walking that dinosaur, and don't forget, trust the fungus. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 